Thank you very much, Charity. Trust that is <clears throat> true in your life. You think about living for Jesus, serving Him, yielding to Him. <coughs> Couple, well, start off with one question. In light of our discussion on making disciples, can we lure spiritually dead people to desire to hear the gospel? Can we lure spiritually dead people to desire to hear the gospel? <coughs> no. no? Are you positive? I'm not being difficult, I'm just asking. Next question, will events, <coughs> programs, music, contemporary worship style, sports events, etc., help? Hey, you might get them to come to something. Will that get them to desire the gospel? Holy Spirit has to work. Pardon? Might plant some seed. Should we try to lure spiritually dead people to desire to hear the gospel of Christ? Okay, it tells us to sow the seed. Can we do anything to make the seed germinate? I mean, how we respond to those couple questions makes a difference in how you think about making disciples. Another one, in a settled community, when by settled community, I'm talking where you know, we live longer term. In a settled community, what is God's plan for unbelievers being open to hear the gospel of Christ? I didn't say they would respond. I just said, you know, being open to hear. Okay, let your conversation be seasoned with salt. How Christians live their lives. Okay, how we live our lives as Christians. We'll look at a couple passages in response to what we've been discussing. Let's go to Matthew. Just thinking briefly on the question of in a settled community, what is God's plan for unbelievers being open to hear the gospel of Christ? As we look at the scriptures, and you look at the flow of the context, and we're not going to look at all the context, seems to be how God, you know, at least provides an opportunity for us to share unbelievers being open somewhat because of the Spirit working as we seek to respond in these ways. But one way would be disciples, and I'm using the word disciples rather than believers, disciples living blessed lives. You say, what's a blessed life? Well, Matthew 5, begin reading with verse 1. 
Now, when he saw the crowds, that is, Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because your reward in heaven For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You ever think about a blessed life as being poor in spirit? I can't handle life. Mourning. Being meek. Accepting the circumstances that come into your life without arguing and complaining and saying it's got to be different. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Merciful, pure in heart, and so on. This seems to be a process in time, but blessed. God, I want you to bless me. And he says, be poor in spirit. Mourn. Be meek. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Be pure in heart. Be a peacemaker. Accept persecution. And then he says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. As we seek to live blessed lives, that seems to make us saudi. And then as we're spread over the unbelievers' lives, it seems to have an impact on the gospel and making it more tasty. I think he's talking about daily living. He goes on to talk about other things in the Sermon on the Mount, but just living a blessed life. You ever lift, list your wish list to God and say, God, here's what I would like in life. Lord, I want to be poor in spirit. I want to mourn. I want to be meek. I want to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I want to be merciful and so on. Lord, this is my wish list. And the Lord says, great. I'll be more than happy to work on you because it's the wish list that I have also for you. You know, just a blessed life. Let's go over to John chapter 13. As we think about, in a settled community, what is God's plan for unbelievers being open to hear the gospel? John chapter 13. In John 13 through 17, Jesus is preparing his disciples for when he will not be on the earth. In the early part of the chapter, he washed the disciples' feet. He was showing them the full extent of his love. He predicts the fact that he's going to be betrayed He predicts Peter's denial. Look at verse 34. 
he says to the followers, his disciples, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Skip over to chapter 15 and verse 12. In the context of the vine and the branches, he says, My commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love hath no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. We won't turn there, but in Ephesians chapter 5, 1 and 2, he tells us to live a life of love just as God loved us. You know, and then Christ gave himself for us. In a settled community, the way believers get along in loving one another has a tremendous impact. It seems like all believers know about the dirty laundry of believers as well as the clean laundry of believers. And apparently we, we as believers, beginning with the 11, I say 11 because Judas, you know, ultimately betrayed Christ, struggle with love. And Jesus says, love one another. We really struggle with that. Recently, I was at my aunt's funeral. Ruth Ann and I went to the funeral and afterward got to talking to some people and I just had to kind of grin and say, Lord, whatever end. Someone said, well, so-and-so is going to this church now. I said, where's that one? Well, that's one that started recently. And then a couple other things were said, and I thought, just the whole issue of love. We struggle with that, don't we? Believers, disciples, and a set of community that just love one another. Tremendous impact. Let's go to another passage. First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. Peter is writing to those who are going through persecution. Some of them are dying. Their faith is being tried. And their faith is being proved to be more of genuine. It's being proved to be genuine, worth more than gold, you know, and so on. And in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, 1 Peter 4 and verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Now, the painful trial that Peter is talking about is the persecution for their faith. So we should not be surprised that Scott gets thrown to the lions tonight. And tomorrow night, Lorraine and Devin are going to light Nero's garden. And through some shifting around, Jeff and Anita lose all their retirement. 
And Danny was bad-mouthed. And basically, he has no customer base anymore. It says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial that you're suffering. That's what they were going through. Notice what he says in 13. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. What's he saying? So we get together next Sunday morning and we say, well, Scott's no longer with us. And he's to the lions and Lorraine and <clears throat> Devin are no longer with us. They lit Nero's garden. Jeff and Anita are having horrendous financial problems. Danny doesn't have a business anymore. Let's just rejoice together that we can participate in Christ's sufferings. That's where Peter's coming from. If you're insulted because of the name of Jesus, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Disciples who rejoice in rather than escape sufferings seem to have an impact. We humans by nature are forever trying to get out of difficulty. I'm not saying that's always wrong. We have a physical difficulty. We want the doctor to fix us. We have a financial difficulty. We go to a counselor and we want him to help us or her to help us. We have a family issue difficulty. We want someone to fix it. We get persecuted at work just because we speak the name of Christ. Ah, we got to get some lawyer here, you know, and get our rights. And Peter says, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. See, that's something that you can attribute only to God at work in us. Because that's not normal. When was the last time you went to work and you heard a co-worker say, been a tough week. My son is having terrible physical problems. My daughter flunked out of college. My wife was found to have cancer. I'm rejoicing in all of this. We don't hear that very often because it takes the Spirit of God to work in us to rejoice in Difficulty. But I think that has a tremendous impact as you live in a settled community. Living well in trials, in the midst of tremendous struggles sometimes, having an attitude of joy, and then dying well, opens doors for the gospel. In the process of reading the book, The Art of Dying, it's interesting. You know, the art of dying? We have to prepare to die? Yeah. The way we die 
has a tremendous impact. Let's look at another passage. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. In chapters 1 through 11, Paul has discussed doctrine and so on. In chapters 12 through 16, he tells us, you know, how to live well in light of what we have in Christ. So Romans chapter 12. We'll begin reading with verse 9. I would say just disciples who live well in light of this passage. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Let me read that one again. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. In our country, how many times are believers going through difficulty because of their faith and they lash out rather than bless? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written. It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Just a whole host of things that tie in with disciples who live well. You can pick out any one of them, you know, it has a tremendous impact as we live in light of that scripture. We say, I don't like some of these things. That's not the issue. <laughs> God says this is how to live well in the world in which we live. Nothing new under the sun. You ever think about mourning with those who mourn? Job's three friends sat in silence for a week with Job. Then they ran into some trouble because they started to say, Job, you got all kinds of sin in your life. You better figure out what it is. But they mourn with him. Live in harmony with one another. Ah, oh, I got this problem with Daniel. I better figure out how to live in harmony with Daniel. Wife and I have a difficulty. Better figure out how to live in harmony with Ruth. And he says, live in harmony with one another. Just live well. Go to another passage, chapter 13 of Romans. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. 
and those who do so bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an ancient of God's wrath, or an ancient of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you must pay your taxes, for authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. How do you make the gospel salty? How does God want to work where unbelievers may be at least open to hearing? Is disciples who respect and honor governmental authorities. What I say next, some of us might struggle with. Our president, whether we agree with him or not, is ordained by God. And the text here seems to be saying, when I resist him, I'm actually resisting God. It could be other people, you know, in positions of authority. Submit to governing authorities. There's a group of people in our country that you find they say very, at least to my knowledge, will say almost nothing negative about the government. I won't say who they are. If you can figure it out, you can. But they're known for that. The way we as disciples speak of government, the way we respond to government, has a tremendous impact. So you're talking to a neighbor, you're talking to someone on the job, and the issue of the government comes up. And everyone just gets on, you know, whatever is being said, and you don't say anything. And finally they say, Jeff, do you have anything to say? And Jeff says, yeah, I have something to say. God is teaching me that I am to honor and submit to those in authority over me. I pray for them, I submit to them, and I try not to say anything beyond that. (laughs) They'll go home saying, that guy's a wacko. But a couple weeks later, they might say, Jeff, Can you tell me what makes you such a wacko? You know, just, again, the way you respond in life. And I think all of us struggle at times with how we respond to government. You know, you pay your taxes or you see how much was taken out of your paycheck for taxes. You know, government's getting pretty greedy. We work at that. Look at Romans chapter 13. And verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except to continue the debt of to love one another. 
For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. Whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm or does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do understand this. Understand the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, close yourself with our, the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Disciples who live well in light of eternity. You say, I haven't arrived at any of the passages we looked at. Join the crowd. But if we're in process, people notice that we're changing. And God uses that to open doors in a settled community. You know, where people live Longer term. When you're going into a new community and you want to proclaim the gospel, it seems like you speak up, then you live it. But in a settled community, what we live speaks so loud, and that determines whether people really want to hear. There's other passages we could look at, but we won't look at any others. So I ask a question. If our lives are not being transformed, and I'm talking progression. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm not talking about we do everything right. I would pose a question, what gospel do we believe, accept, or embrace? If the gospel of Christ is radical, it takes us from death to life. It takes us from separation from God into relationship with God, seems to do something inside of us, changing our desires and our motivations and so on. And if that's not happening, I think a fair question is, what gospel did we believe? Another one. Are wayward professing believers being rebuked and corrected? Scripture makes it very, very clear that we struggle We haven't arrived. We're in process. We're going to fall by the wayside at times, or we're going to get sidetracked. He says we're to rebuke one another. We're to correct one another. Why? So we're going along. The world tends to chuck people that don't respond correctly. The Christian community is to come alongside someone and rebuke them correct them, encourage them, you know, whatever the need may be. Ah, oh, so-and-so over there is, claims to be a Christian, and they're not doing very well. God, get them straightened up, and God says, I will, but I want you to do it. So are, are we doing that? We need that. 
if it had not been and if it, if it weren't that it continues to this day for people to speak truth into my life, I'm not so sure where I would be. I can take you back just a few weeks and someone talking to me and saying, got a couple of questions for you. In this case, Dan, a peer of mine. I don't have to go back too many weeks. Ruth Ann read some things that I wrote and she said, Dan, you are becoming. And she went on and I thought about that. I took what I wrote, ran it through the shredder, and the Lord has been keeping me on target. We need that towards one another so that we continue this maturity. Our pastors and elders, older saints and parents, seeking to model, and I'm saying seeking to model, it's a process in time, but seeking to model some of what we've discussed tonight. Not that we've arrived. I'm not talking about perfection. I got to be over here. I'm just talking about, you know, moving in the right direction. So if I'm going to say something to you, I better be at least sensitive to applying it. If I want to speak to a non-believer and they say, ah, Dan, you're talking to me about life. I don't want to hear you. Why? Because I heard you not being so nice to your kids. An older man who has since gone to be with the Lord. He lived in the old school across the way here, Vince. And he was in the hospital one time, and I went to see him in the hospital, and... Uh, I said, Vince, can I talk to you about God? He said, yeah, I'll leave you talk to me about God. We talk some about God. We talk some about Christ and how to have a relationship with God. And, and then he got off on a tangent, and he went on and on about some believers that he knew and I knew. He just said, oh, he just really had a lot to say about them. It wasn't very good. And some of what he said, I thought, well, he's in target. You know, that's true. Well, I said, Vince, why are you willing to listen to me? He said, because of your kids. He said, your kids listen to you. And I thought, when was he ever around us? Lived across the way here. Had not been in our house. I go over to see him sometimes, you know, and talk and so on. His response was, I have observed your kids for years. And they try to listen to you and they do what you tell them to do. I think the kids overall did. It's not that they never needed corrected. I thought, here's a guy I had no idea. And there were numerous opportunities along the way that I talked to him about God when he was in a nursing home and so on. But it went back to the family. 
was, or was I perfect? Am I a perfect dad? No, I'll be the first to admit that. <laughs> it really drove home to me just the way we live. So he would sit over here, stand over here outside, and I don't know if he heard me say, hey, Danny, do this, or Beth, do that, or someone do something, and it was done. Again, just the way we live, seeking to model. Am I a disciple of Christ? We verbalize, but our lives, the way we live, moving along. Not that we have arrived, but being transformed year by year has a tremendous impact. So going back to the question, what is God's plan? You know, for unbelievers being open, seems to be a lot with how we live. And I emphasize it's not how perfect we are. It's how we handle failure also. Because failure and sin is the part of everyone's life, including believers. So Don is talking to someone and they say, how's it going with your husband and family and your dad and your dad being ill? And Don says, uh, I get highly frustrated sometimes and I spout off to Neil at times. And I really get frustrated at dad sometimes. And there had been an occasion or, or two where I didn't respond correctly. But I went back and I apologized and asked their forgiveness. And the person may say no more. But their thinking will be, I wish I could do that. Just the way we live. Even when we fail, when we sin. We're not talking Perfection. Just talking a sensitivity to God. Any comments before we close in prayer? <clears throat> we sow seed, we live lives, but we can't make the seed germinate. We can't make someone eager to listen. We can live well and trust that God will work. So if you're living well, be willing to speak well as God gives opportunity. Father, I think all of us here tonight would acknowledge that we certainly haven't arrived. We're in process of being conformed to your image. So whether we're responding correctly or we have sinned or we have failed and we're seeking forgiveness from you or from someone else, we know that you use that in our lives. to work in the lives of unbelievers that they might be open to Christ. So may we just day by day be committed to living and sensitivity to you. And as there are opportunities to share, may we be willing to verbalize. And when we have fear of speaking, as we'll discuss down the road, how do we deal with the fears that we have? 
the fact that we might forget. May your spirit work in us to grasp what we have in Christ, the power that we have to speak up, to be sensitive to opportunities that you give. It's our desire to be sensitive, Father, this week as we deal with our families, as we go to school, as we go to work, as we shop and so on. May we mature and just living in sensitivity to you. In Christ's name, amen.